sermon uh, this morning is God is good, um, or we can call it the goodness of God, whichever. I'll probably be interchanging between both. Um, and many of us that are brought up in church, you know, that's something that we, we used to say, well, I guess maybe more so brought up in Pentecostal churches. It's something we used to say quite often. The pastor will say it from the, from the pulpit, God is good. I guess if this was a more vocal church, you would have... Oh, damn, thank you, whoever that was. You know, recited back to me all the time, and then all the time, God is good. Um, and of course, God is good. The goodness of God is, 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 is one of his attributes, is, is one of the attributes of God. Um, and it's probably one of his most decorated, one of his most talked about um, attributes. You know, the Bible is filled with so much um, data, if I can call it that, on, on the goodness of God. We just read two Psalms. Um, talking about how good God is in creation and how he cares for his people and how he answers their prayers. You can almost flick to any psalm uh, out of all 150 of them and you'll see something of the goodness of God that has been spoken about, sung, sung about. Um, and there's so many sermons, so many, so many books, so many songs, etc. you know, all declaring the goodness of God. So, something so widely um, spoke about. And today I want us to come and consider just that. I want us to come and consider the goodness of God. I want us to... To, to just get lost, basically, in the in the in the the all-encompassing goodness of God, it's so it's so awe-inspiring. It's so it's so vast. It's so big. It's so it's so, it's so wonderful. I just want us to just contemplate. I just want us to consider um, how God how good God has been to ourselves as a church, individually, to our families, um, in our context, wherever it might be. Just think about how good God has been. Um, I just returned that to him in praise and, and appreciation of how, of how good he's been to us in our lives. And so to do that, I've got three headings um, to kind of, you know, guide our thinking as we, as we, as we talk about God's goodness. Um, firstly, goodness defined. So we'll look at what God's goodness actually means. We'll define what goodness is. Um, goodness displayed. We'll then look at where God has been pleased to display and show us his goodness. And then goodness distinct. Doesn't really flow as Nicely as the first two, but I had to force the alliteration. Goodness distinct. We, we need to see where, where God has given us a, a special goodness. You know, where, where, where a goodness above everything else has been, has, been, has been displayed to us. So goodness defined, goodness displayed, goodness distinct. So let's define uh, goodness, point one. What, what, is, what is goodness? I've got a quote here. Divine goodness is the overflowing bounty of God by which he who receives nothing and lacks nothing, communicates blessings to his creation and to all of his creatures. God who is in need of nothing, God who desires nothing, is pleased to just continuously pour out blessings to those he has created and to his creatures. That is goodness. Therefore, to experience the goodness of God is to enjoy the, the, enjoy the, the, the sweetness and the, 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 tend, the tenderness, the, the friendliness of a generous, benevolent God. That's what goodness is, is to enjoy his, 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 his loving kindness and his, and, his, and his compassion and his mercy. We see something of a, of a description of God's goodness when, when, when uh, God decides to pass before Moses um, as, he, as he's giving him the Ten Commandments. And this is what God says of himself in Exodus. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and of, he punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Why did I, why did I read that particular passage? Because when we look at the goodness of God, you can almost kind of see it as like an umbrella. 
the, the goodness of God is like an umbrella that, that underneath it has all the other divine attributes of God. So if we, if we think of maybe his, uh, his moral attributes, there's a cluster of them that are all under God's goodness, his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness, his long-sufferingness, his patience. He does all of these kind of different things because he's good, because he's a good God. Let's go back to that particular passage. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. We see that the Lord is tender, absolutely adequate to help anybody, absolutely everybody and anybody that might cry out to him for help, as we read in our, in our, in our, in our passage this morning. Anybody that cries out to him, he can help because he's compassionate and because he's gracious. He's abounding in love and he maintains that love. He's a faithful God. It's a, I said in our prayer this morning, it's, it's, his, it's his work that's allowed us to come and fellowship with him. It's his work that's allowed us to come and know him. And he's the one that continues that love. We love because he first loved us. And he's faithful in that disposition. So even when we're unfaithful, he still maintains that disposition of love upon us. Why? Because he's good. His love doesn't dip. It doesn't waver. He doesn't have off days. He's not like us. His love is consistent because he's good. He's abounding and overflowing in love. And not only that, he's slow to anger. So when we do mess up, as, as we often do, he doesn't, he's not got a short fuse. He doesn't spark. He hasn't got a, you know, he hasn't got a one, two, three, boom, that's it, you're destroyed. He's got like a long, he's got a long fuse. He's a long fused God, if you want to call it that. So once you, you light the fuse and you mess up and you make a few mistakes, that fuse keeps burning and it keeps burning and it keeps burning. It doesn't blow because God is slow to anger. He's a good God. He's long suffering. Doesn't get angry quickly. He'll bear with you. And not only does he bear with you, going back to that verse, he's forgiving he forgives weakness. He forgives weakness, rebellion, and sin. Our God bears with us, and on top of that, he forgives because he's a good God. He washes away our sins. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sins from us. He forgives our sins, plunging them into the sea of forgetfulness. That's our God. He's a good God. By no means is that, exact, is that exhaustive. By no means have I kind of painted every kind of facet of God's goodness. Because he's an infinite God. I couldn't even do that if I tried. But we see there some of the components and some of the, 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 the ingredients, as it were, if I could call it that, of God's goodness. What three things can we say in particular, again, that will help us to kind of understand and, and really develop a, a definition of God's goodness? Another three things I want to quickly say. Um, the goodness of God is necessary, number one. This is like a theological um, uh, compartmentalization, um, nothing to really too, too, too um, tricky here. Um, but God's goodness is necessary, God's goodness is voluntary, and God's goodness is communicative. What do I mean by that? God's goodness is necessary, first of all. When I say God's goodness is necessary, what I'm saying is that God's goodness is, is, is an essential part of him. It's his person, okay? It's, it's, it's his person to be good. With us, we're not, we're not essentially good. We do good things, and that's, that's hooray for us, well done for us, but we're not essentially good. God is different because in his person, in his makeup, he is good. God is good. The psalmist says, good and upright is the Lord. Jesus said to the young rich man, no one is good. No one here is good except God. Except God. God alone is good. He wasn't saying that no one can do good. He wasn't saying that no one is, is incapable of doing good things. He wasn't saying you can't, so, you know, don't, you've got friends. Your friends are good. Don't start looking at them sideways. You've got good friends. But what, what Jesus Christ is saying there is no one is essentially good. 
No one does good all the time. Because if you were, you'll be God. That's God. God is essentially good. So out of necessity, everything that God does is good. God is good. He himself is essentially, infinitely, and immutably God. Oh, good, sorry. He cannot change from that nature of being good. It's his constant disposition to be good. Out of necessity, God is good. At this present moment, right here, right now, right now, the God that we know, this is the goodest, if I can call it that, that God has been. God doesn't improve in goodness like we do. We might learn how to be good. God doesn't need to learn how to be good. God has never been less good than he is right now, and he won't be more good tomorrow. He doesn't need to do more things to accumulate goodness because he is essentially good. It is necessary that God is good because it is who he is. Secondly, the goodness of God is voluntary. The goodness of God is voluntary. So, okay, Dej, so, so what are you talking about here? We just finished saying that the goodness of God is, is, is necessary. How can it in the same breath be voluntary? You're not contradicting yourself here. How can the goodness of God be necessary and voluntary at the same time? What do I mean? God, in his goodness, in his, in his essential goodness, doesn't actually have to demonstrate any kind of goodness to be good. Okay, so... If I go outside and I meet a stranger and, you know, they, they um, you know, say good morning to me, I'd be like, oh, that's a nice person. What a nice thing to do. What a nice gesture to do. Thank you for being good. Good morning back to you. Or, you know, you see me fall over and you attend to my, my, to, to my, to my need. You've done something. You've kind, of, you've kind of almost proved that you're a good person. You've, you've had to do something. I don't just necessarily go. I might do. I might genuinely just think you're a good person. But, you know, sometimes people can shock you. Some, not everybody is good. It's un, as, as human beings, actually, until we do something, until we kind of like say a good gesture, do a good gesture, that's when we kind of prove our goodness. That's not so with God. God doesn't need to do something to show and, dis, and demonstrate his goodness. Before the world was created, before any of us were here placed on this world, God had already been eternally good. So if God continued and there was no world, there was no, there was no human beings, God would still be good. He doesn't have to demonstrate. He doesn't have to take out. He doesn't have to extract goodness to be good because it is a voluntary thing for God to be good. There's that conundrum, isn't there? It's, a, you know, the, the, it's, like a, it's like a debate question kind of thing. Does a tree in a forest you know, make noise if no one around it hears it or, or whatever it is? That doesn't apply to God. God doesn't need people to recognize his goodness to be good. He is just good. And any goodness that we know is a voluntary display of that goodness. God's goodness is good because it's voluntary. The goodness we see and experience is further expression of the goodness of God because he doesn't even need to show us that goodness in the first place. The fact that we know his goodness is good and we praise God for that. And lastly, what can we say of God's goodness? It's necessary, it's voluntary, and it's communicative. That leads, while saying about the voluntary part, leads quite seamlessly onto the, to, the, to, to, the, to this point about being communicative. God's goodness has been displayed to us. It's been communicated. And I won't say too much because that is my, that is my second point about God's goodness being displayed. I won't say too much here. Um, but, you know, if you consider someone that's a... Uh, we, we've got some people that are... You just see them and they're just genuinely happy to, to share. You know, they're just genuinely happy when you're enjoying, you know, what's theirs. So, you know, you're enjoying their, 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 their health, their, sorry, their wealth. Maybe they've got a lot of money and they buy you a car, they buy you gifts, and they're happy for you. 
I buy you a gift and I'm just happy to see you happy because you're sharing in my, in my, you're sharing in my wealth, you're sharing in my money, you're sharing in what my, my, my money can do. That's God. God communicates his goodness to us and he desires, he's happy, he's glad to see us enjoying the fruits of his goodness because he's communicated it to us. He's communicated it to us. God is good in and of himself. He doesn't need to demonstrate any of that goodness to us. And in doing so, he has communicated a, a, a wonderful display of his character. He's, dis, he's communicated so much of his person. And that is what it means that God's goodness is necessary, is voluntary, and is communicative. That's the nature of God's goodness. And so, like I said, let's come on to consider point two then, God's goodness displayed. If now we know what God's goodness is, where can we look? Where can we see? What, what can we look to? What can we kind of contemplate? What can we think on? to kind of understand and really see a physical example, as it were, of God's goodness. I guess the obvious answer is everywhere, right? You know, we can just open our eyes and see God's goodness on display everywhere. We, you know, we're, we're kind of sport for choice. The world is full of his goodness. It, it, it's just everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. Whatever you have that you like, whatever you like that you enjoy, is from God and it's a good gift from God. Is it your health? Health is a good thing and it's from God. Is it marriage? That's a good thing, and it's from God. Children and family, we just praise God for, for, for an addition to someone's family earlier on this week. A blessing from God. It's a good gift from God that comes from God. Friendships, warm friendships, warm relationships from God. Good weather. We've got a little bit of sun today, thank God. So I can still see a few jackets, so not, 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 not that great, but that's good. That's good. It's from God. Weather is from God. Relaxation. Games and activities and rest. Rest comes from God. He gives his beloved one sleep. All from God. God gives us these things. Simply put then, every good and perfect gift is from above. The father of lights. Every good thing that we experience, every good thing that we know, every good thing that we love to have is from God. We haven't manufactured any of this by ourselves. It comes from God. But for the purpose of today's sermon, of course, where, could we, where do I want us to kind of focus on? And again, I've got three different areas I want us to look at to kind of, as it were, zoom in on and really kind of pay particular attention to God's goodness and how it's been displayed in those three sectors. The first sector, creation. In creation, we see so much of God's goodness. First Timothy 4 says, everything created by God is good. Everything. Everything created by God is good. We, we see we see that repeated often. You know, if you read the Genesis account when God is, uh, the creation account when God is, is, is creating, after every single day of creation, he says, this is good. God created heaven and earth, and this is good. Created the waters and the expanse, and this is good. This is good. God created a good world. And on the, on the, on the, on the sixth day after the, 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 the days of creation was up, and he put, he put Adam and Eve in, in, in the Garden of Eden and he's created mankind, and now he's almost, as it were, like, you know, taking a step back. He's, watch, he's watching the paint dry, if I can call it that. And everything is starting to work harmoniously with each other. And, you know, everything is working good. God says, this is very, very good. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Creation is good. Creation is good. God reminds us of how good his creation is to some degree when he visits Job. You know, Job who's been suffering so much. And he wants to remind Job of his power in creation. He said, and he says to Job, when I, when, where were you when I founded the earth? Have you ever in your lifetime commanded the morning and shown the dawn its place? That's God. 
That's God doing goodness in creation. That's God demonstrating his power. Consider, therefore, how creation and the things that have been created are just beyond comprehension and how good it is. The innumerable stars, stars that we can't even begin to count, that's been created by God. The galaxies and the universe, the wide expanse of space and everything and anything. I don't, I'm not trying to lecture anybody on, on, on science. I'm not that great at it. But everything that's in there, created by a good God. Again, we see in scriptures, the earth is full of the goodness of God. It is full. It is overflowing. The earth is full of the goodness of God. Consider how much of God's creation is varied and diverse and different, how much diversity we have. When we consider the beaches and, and when people go, go over there to relax, when you consider the mountains and the trees and the flowers and the fields, the animal kingdom and all the animals in there, the great ones, the big ones, the small ones, the, 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 the preys, the predators, all the diversity that we have in God's creation to create, all created and given to us by a good God. Jesus Christ says again, as he's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, King Solomon, in all of his wealth and glory, was not arrayed as beautifully as one of the lilies of the field. Consider the beauty that we have in God's creation. He hasn't just created everything bland. He hasn't just created everything the same. He's given us beauty to appreciate. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you pause and kind of think about what you think is beautiful. Is it arts? Is it, is it music? Is it literature? Is it flowers? Is it colors? Wherever it might be. Look at the beauty that God has given us to appreciate. Look at the diversity that God has given us, all created by a good God. And let's not obviously forget ourselves created. We're creatures. We're created by God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, is what the psalmist says. Consider the complexity. Consider the, 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 the detail, the skill that goes into, 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 into creating you, into creating humans. One of the blessings, I think, of pregnancy is, is kind of following the, 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 the journey um, as, as obviously the baby develops um, in the womb. And, you know, first time father, I'm now father of three. I think the, the hysteria was definitely more there as a, when I was the first time. But I downloaded so many apps and I was on websites all over the place and I was checking, okay, so, I, I, you know, at this particular set in, in, the, in the pregnancy journey, the baby's now got veins. And then, you know, at, at two months or whenever, you know, the baby can now open its eyelids or whatever. And now it's got fingernails and, and now the organs are starting to form and now the blood is starting to go around the body and now the skeleton is starting to take shape. And now it's as big as a melon, or now it's as big as a bunch of bananas. And you just, you just, you just, you generally just can't help but wonder, how good is this God that has created this? God is the one that is fashioning every single bit of detail about the human body. This is the good God that we serve. The world, as we see it, the created world, you can imagine it as a museum. It's a museum of God's goodness. Everything that you see, everything that you behold, is just pointing to how good God is. We just, we just, we're just, we're like kids in a, in, a, in a candy shop. We're just looking at so much wonderful beauty, so much wonderful goodness. And as beautiful as creation is, as beautiful as creation is, what's its purpose? Is it, is the purpose of creation, everything that I've mentioned, whether it's animals or trees or mountains, wherever it might be, everything that I've mentioned, what's its purpose? Why has it actually been created? Is it there for us just to mainly look at? Is it there for us to just mainly marvel at it? Is, is it serving its purpose and we can look at, you know, the seas and be like, oh, wow, so wonderful, so beautiful. Not quite, because that's not what its purpose is. The purpose of everything that God has created is to reflect his goodness. So you look at the mountains, you look at 
whatever it might be, and you're looking into a looking glass, you need to be able to look past that and be like, the creator of this is good. I marvel at the mountains, but I imagine what marveling at God would be like. I marvel at the, 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 the stars, and I marvel at the, 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 the beautiful flowers, and I marvel at all the animals, great and big, but imagine how good the God is that created all of this. Creation serves its purpose when it sends you back to the maker, when it sends you back to the creator, and you marvel at that good God. So we see God's goodness in creation. We see God's goodness in creation. Where else do we see God's goodness? Goodness displayed. We see God's goodness in his providence. We see God's goodness in his providence. Our brother Joseph was preaching on providence, wasn't he, about two weeks or three weeks ago, I think. What is providence? I've got a quote here from um, um, Jerry Bridges. God's providence is his constant care, his constant care, uh, and his absolute rule over all his creation for his glory and for the good of his people. So God has created this world, and he hasn't just created the world and left it to run in, 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 in autopilot, as it were. He hasn't just kind of wound up the world and let's hope for the best, let's see if this world can kind of self-sustain itself. God is actively present and, and actively involved in the maintenance, in the care, in the upkeep of his world. That is providence. That's what providence means, okay? It's God's, it's God's involvement in caring for in, in, in upkeeping, in maintaining his world, in, in, in maintaining his creation. Essentially, if you consider providence, providence is just the, the act of God orchestrating all things, making sure that everything is okay, making sure that everything runs as it's intended to. And of course, therefore, in God's, in God's providence, we see so much of his goodness. We see so much of his tender um, heartedness, his kindness and his faithfulness. We read in, in, uh, in, in Psalm 145 earlier, and to be fair, probably this might actually be my, my, my most favorite verse in the, in the whole, whole of Scripture. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at their proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. I've tried to satisfy my children. It's hard. I work a lot, they eat a lot, it's, it's a constant transaction. God opens his hand and every living thing is satisfied. God knows what every single person needs and God is able to satisfy the need of every single person. Joseph went to Egypt, uh, Joseph in the Bible, not, not Joseph, I preached to this. Joseph went to Egypt and sold into Egypt in, in slavery. Um, and, he, and when he worked his way up to, 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 you know, to, to be Pharaoh's right hand, as it were, Pharaoh put him in charge of the storehouses, didn't he? He put him in charge of the storehouses, he looked after the grain, so that when there was famine, the people of Egypt were okay, because Joseph was managing the storehouses of Egypt. Everyone was okay. God manages the storehouses of the world. He makes sure that everybody is okay, not just the Egyptians, not just people here in London, not just people in, in, in a certain place. He makes sure that everybody that he has created is okay. Everything is under God's providential care, absolutely everything, every meal, Every pleasure, every possession that you have, every currency in the world, every bit of sun, every bit of night's sleep, everything that sustains and, and enriches and adds value to our lives is controlled by God and is managed by God. Everything that we need in life comes from the storehouse of God. He opens his hand and we are satisfied. That is the good God that we serve. That is a good God that is able to look after all of us, all of his creation. That's the good God that we deserve. But let's, let's zoom in again more. Let, let, let's, let's take providence. And yes, I guess we've examined it in its kind of its, its universal sense. God can look after everybody. 
But providence as well is when God looks after you personally, individually. And you, you need to consider with me here now. And, you know, take a moment as you, as, you, as you hear my words. But take a moment to think about how God has providentially looked after you individually, attended to your specific need. You know, maybe, maybe it was an accident that you walked away from and you look back and you think, how on earth have I come away from that unscathed? How am I, how am I even walking away from this particular accident? He brings, he protects you from a near-death experience. Or, 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 or your, your, your back is up against the wall, I don't know, it might be financially, it might be just because of danger, poor choices you've made, and your back is up against the wall, and you don't really see how you're going to get yourself out of this, of this dilemma. And then God literally makes a way of an escape. He providentially makes a way of escape for you, so that whatever dangers you are facing all of a sudden are no more. Consider the times where he's healed you, when the doctors have told you literally straight up, sorry, there's literally nothing more than we can do. But then God says, no, nah, there's something that I can do, and he heals you. Consider God's uh, uh, providential care there for you. Think about how good the God is that we adore. His providence, his maintaining, and his care for his people shouts that he is good. It declares that he is good. And lastly, where else do we see God's goodness? We see God's goodness displayed in creation. We see God's goodness displayed in his providence. And lastly, we see God's goodness displayed in his law. In the law. Paul says the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. Your law is delightful. I love it. I love obeying your law. And on face value, you might think, oh, that, that's a bit weird. Who kind of likes, you know, being restricted? Who likes do's and don'ts? You know, we, we want to live free. We don't really want people, you know, telling us what to do and, and you know, kind of lording it over us. Who, who literally, you know, at school, no one really liked their teachers telling them what to do. You know, sometimes as, parents, as, as young, young adults, we didn't really like our parents restricting us. You know, we like to be free. Who likes laws and rules? But that's not, that's not the case with God. Because um, the, the, the law, the rules from God are good. And so we love, we, we actually love, if we've got our spiritual senses about us, we actually love the law of God. And let me explain why. We see the goodness of God in his laws because his laws allows us to, to understand something of his character. God gives us his law, not just in some sort of arbitrary, you know, ether kind of um, 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 setting, obey these laws just because I said so. Obey these laws because they reflect me. They reflect my character. If you obey them, you know me. If you obey my laws, you love me. If you obey my laws, you come into fellowship with me, the invisible God, the one who without the law, you won't actually know me. You won't actually know where to find me. But obey my law and all of a sudden, you know the invisible God. The law teaches us to obey him. And not only that, but to have peace with each other. Who doesn't desire peace? Who wakes up every day and just wants to be fighting everybody and wants to be living in you know, 24-7 drama? I want to be living in contention and chaos with people. The law teaches us to live in harmony with each other. Don't, don't, don't kind of overlook what you know, a nice network of friends, a nice bubble of friends feels like. Because some people don't have that. Some people are in context where all they do is fight. And some people are in context where all, they, all there is is lawlessness. But we have a context where God has given us laws and it helps us to live peaceably with each other. That same law is maintained by government. And that government is there to do what? To uphold. Uh, goodness. It's there to ensure that anyone that uh, transgresses the law, anyone that uh, uh, wants to live in wickedness and evil is punished, is deterred. 
And so the law is instituted to government so that the law can be respected, so that the law can be maintained, it can be held. That's a good thing. The law restrains human wickedness. Without the law, our wicked hearts will run free and chaos will ensue. Remove God's law from the world that he's created and you have destruction. Remove God's law from the world that he's created and you have chaos. God's law is good. God's law is to be delighted in. God's law is to be obeyed. And so lastly, so we've considered where God's, law, where God's goodness can be displayed. We've looked at it in his creation, we've looked at it in his providence, and we've looked at it in his, in his law. But like I said, I wanted to, to, to consider our, our third and final point for this evening. And that is goodness distinct, okay? Goodness, goodness distinct. All the goodness that we've, um, that we've talked about um, up, up until this point, yes, they're good, they're, they're, they're wonderful. You know, whatever it is that you're, you appreciate, whatever it is that you find beauty in, whatever it is that you find, you know, delight and joy in, it's good. I'm not, definitely not trying to knock it or, or take it away from you. Those are good things to enjoy. But listen to me when I say all of those things, they, they get dwarfed, like they just become overshadowed by this one gift that God has given to us. They become absolutely redundant, so much so that you can amass worlds over of the goodness in, in this life. But if you don't have this one gift from God, you have, you have nothing more than mere sand. That's what, that's what you have. And of course, this, this, this good gift I'm talking about comes from God's mercy and it's God's goodness in providing a spiritual redemption, isn't it? God provides a way of, 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 of spiritual life for us. That's a good, the good and very distinct, particular way that God demonstrates his goodness to us. It's in that spiritual awakening. It's in that spiritual revitalization of our souls that he comes and makes his way good to us. So we, 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 we kind of go back to the Garden of Eden and we see where, you know, things started to go wrong, don't we? You know, God created a good world and humans are put in it, Adam and Eve, but then they sin, don't they? And they, 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 dis, they disobey God. They didn't really feel that God's law was that important. But they disobey and they turn their backs on God and essentially mess everything up. They disobey God, don't they? And they mess everything up. And in that moment, if God was to just destroy Adam and Eve, we're not dealing with a, less, with a God who is not good anymore. If God destroys Adam and Eve, he still remains completely good. If he gets them out of the way, reverses the, the damage that they've done, and in that moment continues, and there's no, like I said at the beginning, there's none of us here, there's no HGRC, there's no whatever happened 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years ago. If there's no history of mankind, God still remains good. But instead of doing that, instead of destroying Adam and Eve right there and there in the garden, he says, now it's time to basically unravel my, 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 my grand plan of salvation. Now it's time to unravel my, 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 my good plan. Now it's time for the full scope of my mercy and of my kindness and of my faithfulness and of my love. Now it's time for my goodness to be known. Now it's really time for the, for the main event, as it were, to come forward. And so they've created, Adam and Eve have created this, this sin problem, but God says, I will fix it. And so he takes Adam and Eve and he clothes them. And we, we know that already. That's a, a display of, 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 of Jesus Christ and how he clothes us in, in his perfect robe of righteousness. And he clothes them and he sends them out of the garden because let's not get it twisted. Sin does carry retribution and punishment. He sends them out of the garden, but he continues to be good. And he watches over them. And time and time, time passes and generation comes and generation comes. 
And instead of people to become good and instead of people to acknowledge the good God that we serve, sin multiplies. As people multiply, sin multiplies. And sin gets worse and worse. So much so that mankind is just nothing more than a stench to God. Iniquity uh, uh, multiplies and, and, and sin multiplies. And again, God, could, God would be no less God if he decides to destroy the world, just consume it all in fire. But no, God is forbearing and God is patient. And God not only does not destroy the world, he doesn't just destroy us. That's already a goodness in and of itself by not destroying us. But now he gives. And what does he give us? He gives us, he doesn't just give, well, he doesn't just give us anything. He doesn't just give us, you know, wealth. He doesn't just give us wisdom. He doesn't just give us, you know, uh, strength so that we can try and maybe fight off the sin ourselves. He goes into his, his, his storehouse again and he gives us his most prized possession. He gives us his most wonderful possession. He goes and he goes and gets the darling of heaven. He goes and gets Jesus Christ and he gives that to us. He gifts Jesus Christ to us. And so we can look at Jesus Christ and when we see Jesus Christ, we almost can say, this is the full display of God's goodness here on earth. God has given us the best, the very best. That is Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of the incarnation, Jesus Christ coming to earth. Paul speaks of the incarnation as this, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Jesus Christ is just the embodiment of God's goodness. Jesus Christ is just the embodiment of God's faithfulness, of God's kindness to us, to us being sinful people. And Jesus Christ comes, and he's not, he's not shying away from that label as well. Jesus Christ says of himself, I am the good shepherd. I am coming to save. I am coming to do good works. My good works testify of me. They tell of who I am. I am the good shepherd. God gives us this precious gift, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we almost as it were have an embarrassment of riches. We have more than we need. We have Jesus Christ, the very darling of heaven. We have more than we need. We have more than we ever fathom or think. And so when we, in faith, turn to Jesus Christ and accept this gift, what we have is, is, is the relationship with God that we will need. Forget, and I don't mean forget as in, you know, don't, don't enjoy these things, but forget what the world can offer. Yes, it's good, but forget what the other gifts are. You've got Jesus Christ now. You can live your whole life. You can live your whole entire life not having much money, not having much clothes, or not being able to drive the nicest cars that you thought you might, or not being able to, to get to the very top of the career ladder that you had, or maybe you don't even have a career. You might die and you might, you might, you might, you might leave this earth being, being, being jobless. That doesn't matter if you leave this earth with Jesus Christ. You've got the most precious gift that he could ever have given to you. His only son, Jesus Christ, the very embodiment of his goodness. And when we come, when we come to accept this gift from Jesus Christ, when we run, when we turn to God and we run, he runs to us faster. You have that picture of the prodigal son when he comes to his senses and he runs home. The father goes out to meet him. The father comes out to meet us because he's a good God. That's the God that we serve. He runs to us and he embraces us and he brings us in. And all of a sudden we have a lifetime of goodness. We have an eternity to come of continued goodness that we can not even begin to fathom or explain. That's the good God that we deserve. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. That's the good God that we deserve. That's the goodness distinct that we need to leave here with. Forget everything else that I've mentioned. If you didn't even remember it, that's all well and good. But remember this, you need to know about God's distinct love, God's, God's distinct goodness, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. Receive that, receive that. So what should our response be? 
now that we've heard of God's goodness, what should our response be? What kind of things should we be, be thinking about? And again, I've got three things. Um, the first, gratitude. When we think of God's goodness, we should be grateful. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, is what the psalmist says again. We should be so grateful. We all know that, that uh, uh, popular, popular song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. And it will just surprise you what the Lord has done. If, you're just, if you would just take the time to just pause, to just remember what God has done in your life. If you don't want to remember about your life, remember what God has done in your brother's life or in your sister's life. Remember what God has done in our church. Remember what God has done in our land. Remember what God has done for family, for relatives. God has been so good. Count your blessings. If you can, count your blessings because there's so many. Count your blessings and just lose yourself in what God has done for you. During this week when I've been, I've been, been preparing, there's been a particular song that's, uh, yeah, really just been in my mind. It says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And that should be the response of our lives when we, when we taste of the goodness of God. We're just returning great in, in, in gratitude. God, you've been so good. Thank you. God, you've been so good. I can't even begin to explain. I can't even begin to tell of how good you've been. You give me 10,000 tongues and I still couldn't even sing enough of how good you've been. You give me 10,000 lives and I still don't have enough time. Eternity is too short to sing God's praises. He's given us so much. He's been so good to us. So, so good to us. Your life must, if you've tasted of God's goodness, it must be marked with gratitude. You can't have God's goodness and then respond with complaint. You can't have God's goodness and respond with, 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 with grumbling. You can't, you can't dare have God's goodness and be like, I deserve more. You need to be grateful. You need to appreciate what God has done for you. And don't worry about having more because God is overflowing. God is generous. He will give more. He will give more. He will give. He's gracious. He's generous. God will supply. God will help. But be grateful. Have a life that is marked with gratitude. Secondly, in response, oh, it fuels our prayers, doesn't it? When we know that we're praying to a good God, it just adds, it adds vigor. It adds realism. It adds trust. It adds that element of trust. It adds faith to our prayers, doesn't it? So whenever we're praying, we should, just, we should feel comfortable. I don't mean comfortable in you know, being, being, being uh, complacent or being uh, uh, lackadaisical in that sense, but I mean, be comfortable. Know that you're praying to a God who is good. You don't have to dress yourself up. You, know, you don't have to come you know, looking prim and proper. You don't have to polish all of your words before God hears you. You're coming to a God who is good. You're coming to a God who wants to hear your prayers, who wants to hear your cries. Look at what, God, look at what Jesus Christ says. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more God who is good how much more God, how much will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You're evil and you can do good things. I'm, not, I'm essentially good. I am good. Of course I will help you in prayer. That's the good God that we, deserve, that we serve. That should fuel your prayer, shouldn't it? That should really encourage you when it comes to prayer. God delights, like I said, in opening his hands and satisfying and providing for us. He gives generously. He gives more than we can ever ask or think. He gives even when we don't even have the wisdom to ask for the things that we really need. That's what he's given us. He gives us even the things that we're not, we weren't even confident. We didn't have the boldness to, to, to pray for. That's what he's given us. Sometimes you prayed for something so hard, so vigorously, and God doesn't give it to you. And then the time elapses and you're like, rough, thank you for not giving me that what, what I desired. 
God is good. God is good. And God doesn't get wearisome of doing good. So you shouldn't get wearisome in praying. You shouldn't get tired of praying because God doesn't get tired of giving. His eyes, they're always upon us. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. Go to God at whatever time you want. Go to God for however long you want, for however short you want. God is always there, ready to attend to our prayers. God is good. We can bring large petitions and small petitions, and God will gladly hear us. His goodness is inexhaustible. You feel like you need to pray to God five, six, ten times a day? Keep going, because his goodness is inexhaustible. You feel like you've got so many problems. You feel like you've got so many issues. You feel like maybe even you're the one that caused your issues. Keep going to God. His goodness is inexhaustible. You can't outdo, you can't out-request God's goodness. God is a good God. So what you need to do is build up a repository of how good God has been in your life. Build up the examples, build up the data, remember them. Write them down if you have to. Do whatever you need to remember them. And you use that to fuel your prayers. Lord, you've answered me in time past. You will answer me again because you're a good God. And so what we do in this life, what we do in this pilgrimage, is that we take those, that, that data that we have, we take the data, the remembrance of God's goodness, and we run, we run with it, and we run with it, and we keep running. And then in life, we will get tired, we will, we will begin to slow down, we will begin to forget, we will begin to become a bit more short-sighted as the troubles begin to build up again. But it's okay to pause, it's okay to sit down, and again, count your blessings, remember what God has done, get up and run again. Keep remembering that God is good. Just keep going. Pause. Repeat the cycle. God is good and run again. That's the life. That's the life of someone who believes that God is good. They trust in their father in prayer. And lastly, you give your life. You give your life to a God who has been so good, to a God who didn't give you. He didn't give you second best. So how can you give anything less? God gave you his son, Jesus Christ, the very best, the darling of heaven, and do you want to respond with something less than your very best? You give your life. And I speak particularly to those who might be, 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 be hearing me this morning, and you haven't come to, to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't know what it means to actually trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I speak directly to you this morning. Because as we've considered, the earth is full of God's goodness. You've lived, however old you are, you've lived so many years experiencing and, and benefiting, being the benefactor of God's goodness, Consistently, you just you've lapped it up, you just enjoyed it, and you sucked it up, and you and you've never paused to consider where's all this goodness coming from. You've never paused to consider well, who, who's controlling all of this. You've never paused to consider well, what will happen if all of this stops. You never paused to consider who is the gift, who is the giver of all, the, all of these gifts. And you've probably heard you know sermons here before in the past, and you've you've heard of many invitations that to come to Jesus Christ to trust Him, to trust in God to have your sins forgiven, but you still haven't come. But yet, in the meantime, you're enjoying God's good, 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 good gifts. Have some shame. Re realize what you're doing. You're, 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 you're drinking and enjoying God's gifts, and you're just turning your back on the giver. Just, just wake up. Realize what it is that you're doing. Realize what it is that you're doing, because that gift won't be there forever. One day, God... We, we, we read in Romans, uh, chapter, chapter fails me, but it says, consider the goodness and the severity of God. You have to have that in tandem as well. Don't spend all your life just lapping up the goodness because one day that goodness will disappear because you didn't know who the giver was. You won't be able to go back to the giver. You don't know who he was. You don't know how to reach out to him. Consider the giver. Forget the gifts because one day all of that is going to be destroyed anyways. Go to the giver. Trust the giver. 
Give your life to the giver. Obey the giver. Follow the giver. Give your life to Jesus Christ. And you'll receive the best that God has to offer. Amen.